All of God's people said, amen. Build your kingdom here. You know, we're not really to build his kingdom. He builds his kingdom, but we're a part of it, and we rejoice in what God is doing. I want you to take your Bible today and turn with me to Psalm 122. Right in the middle of your Bible, if you open up, you're going to fall right around Psalm 122. Find that. And I want to zoom in on one verse today, and that is verse 1. You heard Brother Barry share it just a moment ago. As we talk about the church, there's a lot that has been said about the church today, and it's no doubt that it has fallen on hard times. If you look at the numbers across America and probably across the world, it seems as though church attendance has been waning. We see churches dying on a regular basis. We have watched in our own country since COVID, we have watched the decline of regular attendance, and churches are doing virtually everything they can to try to spark, if you can, some fire on their own accord. I even read about one church decided to have WrestleMania to, uh, to stave off some of the decline in church attendance. It seemed like their Sunday evening service was waning, and uh, they decided they're going to have to spice it up a little bit. So they, uh, they called in a guy by the name of Tugboat Taylor, a former wrestler. They had Tugboat come in, and they were going to have the staff wrestle against each other. They found 10 willing souls. I think Brother Barry and I will try this pretty soon here. Found 10 willing souls, and Tugboat came in. He taught them how to pull hair and kick shins and throw bodies without doing too much damage. And sure enough, on the night of the big event, they promoted across the community, and everybody wanted to come in and see a church fight that was sanctioned. So uh, they did. It was a full house. I have to wonder, though, can you say that that is a worship event is that a worship event and could we say that everything that we do constitutes a worship event because we're here as the body of Christ to worship the Lord Jesus Christ one of my favorite verses in all the Psalms is this one Psalm 122 verse 1 I was glad when they said unto me let us go unto the house of the Lord. I have been in a lot of church services over my years, as many of you have. There have been a few that I did not want to be in because they were doing things that probably were not uh, satisfying to God, and there were certainly times when there was conflict, and I understand all of that. But I can say with a clear conscience that there's something that's unique, something that is joyful, something that brings pleasure to not just my heart but to the heart of God when his people gather in his name. I believe that what happens on Sunday morning, not just in Bowling Green or at our church, but what happens on Sundays all around the, ro- the world is, is, a, uh, is a beautiful thing in the sight of God as his people are gathering to worship. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Again, this has been tested in recent days. You know when COVID came about three years ago, We were told we had to shut the doors and let's just meet virtually. And there were prognosticators who were saying that the day of the gathered church is over and we're not going to ever get back to where we used to be. And while there probably is some truth to some of that, the fact of the matter is God intends for his church to gather. And I, I believe that we're beginning to see a revival of that as people recognize that while you can watch on, on a live stream and that's something and I'm for it, I think the further we can get the message out, the more we ought to. And if you're listening by live stream today, we welcome you here. 
By the same token, there's something about the people of God gathering that God has sanctioned in a way that nothing else is like it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. I want to zoom in on this verse if we can. Let's just literally tear it apart piece by piece, look at it, and think in terms of worshiping the Lord in the house of the Lord. As I, as I look at the text, there are several things that jump out at me, and I want to just start with these words, I was glad, I was glad when they said, I was glad. It's a reminder to me that worship is a spiritual experience and that your capacity for worship depends on your spirit, your capacity for worship. I, uh, I subscribe to the old philosophy that you tend to get out of something what you tend to put into something. If you come and your expectations are low, you have no anticipation that you're going to encounter God, don't be surprised that you live up to your own expectations. But the fact is this, that worship is a spiritual experience. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the very word, I am glad, and I want to ask King David the question, what are you glad about? What are you glad about? He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. What is he glad about? There is a clue there is a clue hidden in the text that I want you to look at that you never look at. Go up to the title, the title, Psalm 122. Look at the subtitle. The subtitle says, a Davidic song of degrees. If you have an old King James Version, if you have a newer translation like mine, it says, a song of a sense, a sense that you're ascending somewhere, you're going up. And the Jews believe if you were going down to Jerusalem, we would say that you're going up to Jerusalem because it was not just on a hillside, but because it was the holy city. And they believed that if they were going to the holy city, that they were ascending up to that city. As a consequence, this particular song became known as the Song of the Steps, or some would say it was the Song of the Pilgrimage. It was a song that was sung as they were walking up to Jerusalem. In short, it's the song of the journey. The song of the journey of the people from wherever they are up to the house of the Lord. Now, some things you need to know. This psalm was clearly written by King David. However, it was edited later by King Hezekiah. When Hezekiah came to the throne, he added two verses to this particular chapter. He added verse 1. And the last verse. Notice that both of those refer to the house of the Lord. And why did he add it? Why did King Hezekiah add this? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Well, if you remember his story, it's really simple. The first act of King Hezekiah when he became the king over Israel was he went down to the temple which had been polluted in many ways, and he cleansed the temple, reminiscent of what Jesus is going to do sometime later. But he cleanses the temple and prepares the temple for the people of God to worship. The second thing that he did is he sent out an invitation, not to the people that were already coming. He sent out an invitation to what we called the ten lost tribes. You remember those guys? The Assyrians had come down and had invaded Israel in the north, and they led captive these people and those tribes, and they displaced them, and they were intent on their extermination. 
They were going to get rid of the people of God. They are now in Assyria. They have been gone for over 100 years. King Hezekiah becomes a king, and he sends out an invitation to those 10 tribes to come back down to Jerusalem and to worship at the house of the Lord. Now, I want you to get the picture for these, for these people that respond to the invitation. They have never been to the house of the Lord. They've never seen the temple. They've never been in Jerusalem. They've never worshipped with the people of God. And now they're going to be set free from their captor, and they're going to make their way down to Jerusalem. They're going to ascend to the city, and their freedom now has led them to sing a song of worship as they go down to the house of God. It's called the Song of the Journey. I want you to think in terms of who you are. You were born and conceived in sin. You were being held captive by the enemy. You were in darkness without hope and without light. One day, you encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. He invited you to himself. He said that I can give you freedom and break the bondage of what you have right now and give you eternal life. Christ issued to you an invitation to come to him. And one of the things that should be happening in the heart of the people of God is that when we ascend on the house of God, there should be the song of freedom because Christ has redeemed you. He has given you a new song, even even praise unto our God. When he writes, I was glad, he's literally saying, those who respond to the invitation of grace from God, those who return to God, when they come to the house of God, there ought to be something inside of them that says, God is worthy of my worship. He is worthy of my praise. And I'm not going to go down there and sit around like a deaf mute. I'm going to go worship my God because he is worthy. I was glad when they said unto me. Now, what does that really mean to you and I? What it means is this, that worship is the birthright of every child of God. When you became a follower of Christ, you were given a great privilege. The privilege is not just to know God and to serve God, but to worship God. There's something liberating about knowing that, that God is in your life. Worship is a privilege then. It's not a duty. We act like it's a duty, don't we? Sunday morning, we trudge out of bed, we eat our breakfast, we take a shower. Why? Because we got to go to church, we say. No, you get to go to church. You are the redeemed of the Lord, whom he hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. And you need to come down to the house of God with a song in your heart because you have been redeemed. That's what he would say. Worship is an essential part of your journey. Just as it was in Hezekiah's time, in David's time, in our time, it's an essential part of what you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. The old song really got it right. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground someday. Someday, not long from now, we're all going to be in heaven. We're all going to enjoy what God has prepared for us. We're on a journey now. Coming to church is a stop along the way to refresh the faith that you have in the one who died for you. It's a part of your journey. So I would say to you, stop treating it like a begrudged act and start treating it like an incredible opportunity 
to praise the Lord your God. You know, what he's really saying here at the end of the story is that your worship depends on your spirit. Jesus said it like this, Brother Barry quoted it earlier, that we are to worship our Lord in spirit and in truth. A lot of people think that word spirit means in the Holy Spirit, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you go back and read it in John 4, that's a small case S, not a big case S. That means he's talking about your spirit. And when you come to the house of God, you need to zoom in on the word of God, the truth. But there ought to be something inside of you that says, I want to worship. I want to adore the one who came for me. Do you remember the uh, Ethiopian eunuch after he's saved? He meets Philip on the road. And Philip jumps up in his chariot, tells him the gospel. He gets saved, and he goes on his journey from there. And it says, and I quote, and he went away rejoicing. He went away rejoicing. That's us. That's us. He said, I was glad because worship is a spiritual experience. But that's not all. Worship is also intended to be a shared experience. Notice how he adds this. I was glad when they said to me, I want you to zoom in on the pronouns for just a moment, they and me. There's me. I'm an individual. They means there's a group. The whole point of it is that they were traveling together, that there was the intent that the people of God would be doing something together. I was glad when they said to me, I'm going to join somebody in this journey we are pilgrims, but we are not alone. Further, further, you need to understand that God never intended for us to live out our faith in isolation. I've heard lots of things over the years, things like this. Well, Brother Jerry, I think I can worship God at the lake as much as I can at church. While I can worship God at the lake and the ocean and any other place like that too, fact is you don't go there to worship. You go there to play. You're not worshiping, you're playing. You need to remember that you need to be with the people of God. There's something about that. You know, during COVID, when we were shut down, everybody talked about the new normal, the gathering of the church not mattering. But we know intuitively that there's something about being in the room together that is wonderful. In fact, I would contend that God intends for worship to be a shared experience. I want you to think of the long history of God both inviting and commanding his people to worship together. Go back to the earliest, earliest point where we had the tabernacle. You remember that? God said to Moses, you're going to build a tabernacle. You come out of Egypt, you're out of, you've been delivered from all that, you're going to build a tabernacle. And that tabernacle is going to sit right in the heart of my people. There'll be four tribes on the north, four tribes on the south, four on the east, and four on the west. You're going to build this tabernacle, and that's where I'm going to, I'm going to meet with my people. What he was really saying is that worship is intended to be in the congregation, 145 times in the Old Testament before the temple was ever built, God said, I put down a tabernacle for my congregation. He wanted to be the center of their life. He wanted them to gather, and he made sure they understood the dynamics of that. Later came the temple, right? We had David saying, God, I want to build you a house. God said, no, David, you can't do it, but I'll let your son do it. Solomon built the temple. It was glorious in every aspect, in every dimension. It was to be the permanent worship house 
for the children of God. They built it, and some say that it was glorious beyond compare. The inside was plated with gold. It was an incredible edifice. You remember, though, that when they dedicated it, the most important thing about the temple occurred at the dedication. It says that they were offering all these things to God, and the Spirit of God, literally the glory of God, appeared and drove them out of the building as they were worshiping God. The glory of God appeared. What makes, what makes a temple, a tabernacle, a gymnasium, or a cathedral, what makes that a house of God? It is nothing less than the presence of God. That glorious, that glorious presence where God permeates a place, and he did that. It's interesting to me that the temple lasted for a thousand years. Remember when Jesus was little? Jesus was little. They took him down to the temple. And while it's true that there were three different temples from Solomon's down to Herod's temple, it's interesting that the worship at the, at the temple just continued on and on until the day of Jesus, until the temple was destroyed not long after his life. They gathered. That's it. But that's not all. Then there's the synagogue. Between the Old and the New Testament, where there were places where there were, I guess, large groups of Jews, they would gather and they would have a, a, a uh, synagogue. The synagogue was called a house of prayer. It was called a house of study. It was called a house of worship. Jesus said this, that I will go and teach, and he did on a regular basis. He taught in the synagogue the Word of God. Why? Because he wanted the gathered people to hear the Word of God. Later, Jesus comes along and introduces a new word. It's the word church, He's the first person to use it. The word church just means the assembling or gathering of my people. Why did he choose that word? Because he wanted us to be together. It is his church. And that's not all. All of these things are a prelude to the future. In Revelation 4 and 5, John the Revelator pulls back the curtain of heaven. We are able to glimpse inside of the throne room And there we see God on his throne and what's in front of his throne. It says that I saw the angels and then I saw the the creatures and then it adds this note. There were countless thousands plus thousands of thousands they had gathered to worship. So let me say it differently. What you do here is nothing but a preparation for what you're going to do there. You will not be in isolation there. Thus, you do not need to be in isolation here. God always intended that it would be a they at worship, not a me. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of of the Lord. That's God's command. We need to gather as a church. You know, in two weeks, Glendale's going to have an anniversary. I recall when I was young, I recall us having 1,200 one Sunday in worship. We had buses back then, and they brought in uh, hundreds of kids and adults. I don't even know where we put everybody in that old auditorium. But I remember one Sunday we had almost 1,200 people in worship. And a lot of people would look back and say, well, those were the glory days. I don't believe that. 
I believe that the gathered church today can still be the greatest that she's ever been if the people of God will commit to be a part of the gathered church. That's what God wants. We must do it. The church is to worship because worship is a spiritual experience. We are to worship as a shared experience. But there's more in the text. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. House of the Lord. What makes this gathering different than a country club? What makes this gathering different than any other civic organization? Why are we different from the Lions Club and the Optimist Club and all the other clubs? What makes church different? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. It is the Lord's house. It's not my house. It's not Brother Barry's house. It's not your house. It's the Lord's house. Jesus say, said to Peter, he said, Upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what that really means? It means that Jesus doesn't need you to build his house, and he's not going to build your house. He's going to build his house. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Literally, when the church of God is marching forward into the enemy's territory, he has no resource against the people of God because they are doing God's work. This is the house of of the Lord. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 18, 20. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Literally, literally, right now, the unseen guest moving from chair to chair, speaking from heart to heart, is the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit he is speaking even in this moment. When you were singing, he was moving. When you're listening now, the voice that's speaking to your heart about whatever needs to change, that is the voice of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You know, we do many things in the church, all good things. We do many things in the church, lots of good things. But the fact of the matter is we don't do anything more important than gathering to worship. Nothing gets the attention of heaven like worship. So when we gather, what do we do? We worship. I love the tone of this text. You can feel that there's a sense of resolve, a sense of purpose in the words that are written. Going to the house of the Lord then matters to them. I think one of the things we all need is a, an attitude adjustment when it comes to Sunday. I get to go to the house of the Lord. I'm going to go and I'm going to encounter the Lord. I'm going to meet the Lord. They say, well, Brother Jerry, what if I don't come? It's no big deal, is it? Well, I'll take you back to the city that Jesus came to in Samaria that said to Jesus, don't come here. They literally came out of, out of town and said, hey, we've heard about you. We know about your miracles and all those kinds of things. We don't want you in our city. We don't want you here. One day a pastor asked a college student who got a little lax, to be honest about it, in his church attendance. 
he asked him about how God judged that city, and the young college student said, well, you know, I can't remember God judging that city. The preacher said, exactly. Nothing happened there. There weren't any miracles in that city. There were no lives changed in that city. There were no wonderful works of God in that city simply because they didn't welcome God in the city. I want to tell you this, that if you leave off the church, you may not have God judge you with this or that or the other, but there won't be any miracles and there won't be any blessings. There will be the loss of what God intended to give to you because you had gathered in his name with his people in his presence. You and I need each other. We need the church because this is the house of the Lord. I hope you make this your priority. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. It's possible that there's someone here today that is on the outside of the church. You're in the building, but honestly, you're not God's child yet. Your greatest need in this moment is not to be a member of this church. Your greatest need is to welcome God in your life. He has been inviting you as he has generation after generation. He's been inviting you to the freedom that he offers from your lostness, from your sin, and from, your, from, from all the stuff you've got. He wants to give you eternal life. Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose from the grave that you might have eternal life. And if you haven't received that yet, that's your next step. I want to tell you, today is your day of opportunity. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. Brother Barry will be here at the front, and we would love to show you from the Word of God what you must do to be saved. And most in this room have a profession that you know Jesus already. I just want to ask you, is, is, this, is this thing called the church? By the way, you are the church. Is it, is it a big deal to you? Can you say honestly that, you know, I was glad this morning. I was glad when I heard, when I knew, when I got up, when I left to go to the house of the Lord. There's something about being in the presence of God with his people that transforms us into what we should be. I, I was glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of my Lord. I'm telling you this, that the depth of your faith can usually be measured by the commitment that you make to the house of the Lord. Make that commitment now. Our Father, we thank you for your word and its truth. And God, I just pray that as we have the time of invitation, that each one of us would honestly examine our hearts Lord, if we have been neglectful or indifferent to the work of the Lord, either, God, by attitude or by absence, I pray, God, that you'd renew our faith right now. I pray that you'd give to us that same sense of joy and expectation about what you're doing. God, in the routineness of it all, may we know that you are here. Father, may those that you've spoken to respond and for all that you've already done and the great things that you're about to do, we praise you.
we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.